You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to live abroad and use entrepreneurship to build wealth with Damien Peters from Wealth Noir. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to Journey to Launch podcast. I'm so excited to have you here, especially if you are a new listener. That means you are a journeyer now. Sorry, it's too late. You started listening. You're a journeyer. <laughs> and what that means is you're on this journey with me to financial freedom and independence. We are in the rocket and we're taking off. And if you are a returning journeyer listener to this podcast, you already know what's up. You already know that I like to bring you insightful, thoughtful conversations with people who are doing this, with people who are building wealth and reaching their financial dreams. And I'm excited to have on today's guest, Damien Peters. Damien Peters is the founder of Wealth Noir, a media and tech company with the goal of empowering professional African-American millennials with the tools to build wealth. His company is focused on changing the color of wealth in America and is addressing the wealth gap by helping African-Americans grow their net wealth. Damien previously worked at Facebook for three years as a product manager, and he does a ton of things you'll hear in the episode. He is currently living abroad with his wife and young child in Spain, and I met Damien at FinCon in person one year, and we kept in touch. We saw each other again at FinCon, so that's that personal finance conference that I go to. And when he told me at the last FinCon that he was moving to Spain, I think he had just moved to Spain with his young son, with his wife, I was like, I need to talk to you. And because I knew he was also running his business, Wealth Noir, and I had so many questions. So I think you're really going to love this conversation with Damien. We talk about everything here. We talk about his backstory. Uh, He also used to run a very popular site. You'll hear about that in a bit. And like his whole decision to move abroad with his wife, like how did that happen and how he's using his geographical location to build wealth. We also talk about his real estate investing and how he became an accredited investor, how you can become an accredited investor. What is that? What does that mean? If you don't know, we're going to talk about all the things. So if you want any of the episode show notes, anything that we mentioned in this podcast episode, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 101. That allows you to basically any of the links that we mentioned, you can go to that site and it will take you to the links that we mentioned here in the podcast episode. Also, I always love when you are sharing with me your takeaways and your favorite moments from the episodes. So you can do that by following me on social media. I'm at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So if you follow me there and you share, right, you share that you're listening to the episode, you share it on your stories, you at me, you comment on the post. And I just love sharing that with other journeyers so they can see that they're not alone, right? We're not alone. Just because you're listening to this probably by yourself. There are thousands, actually, of other journeyers listening right along with you. And so I love to connect you guys and to let you guys know that your tribe is here. Okay, so without further ado, let's hop into this amazing conversation with Damien. Hey, journeyers, I'm excited as I always am. And I really mean it. I mean it this time because I'm speaking to Damien Peters of Wealth Noir. Hi, Damien. Hey, how's it going? Hi, journeyers. 
<laughs> so, Damien, I mean, I am in awe of your life. Before I pressed recorder, we started, we're taping this now. But before that, you were telling me about all the places you're traveling with your wife, your son. You currently live in Spain. And I'm just like, wow, like you are living the life. And so I wanted to bring you on the show because you have such a background, like an amazing full circle background, like working in a very high energy, high value field. Um, You're going to talk about that. And you're an entrepreneur and you now live abroad. And so I'm just like, all right, Damien needs to come on this show and tell us how he's done that, how he's put himself in the position to be able to live this life and all the things. So welcome to the podcast, Damien. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And it's, um, I'll admit, it's always weird for me to hear people say that about my life because to me, it's I just kind of kept doing one thing after the other. And I ended up in Spain with my own company after uh, you know working. But it all feels very normal to me, I guess. Right. It's very humbling. How did you get started? So first of all, let, let everyone know where you currently live and what you currently do. And then we'll kind of take it back and start from the beginning. Yeah. So I currently live in Valencia, Spain. It's a city about three hours south of Barcelona, the third biggest in Spain. And we've been here about 10 months now. Um, I run Wealth Noir, which I started a little over a year ago, and we specifically focus on higher income black millennials and really helping them transform a salary into building wealth and reaching financial freedom. Uh, In addition to that, I have a few uh, real estate properties that I still manage back in the U.S., along with um, I do some consulting um, for tech companies and uh, nonprofits. But outside of professionally in my company, I travel a lot. So uh, one reason we moved to Europe was to travel a lot. And we've been averaging about a trip a month. So it's been, I think, three countries since we've moved and countless cities. But uh, and I'm also learning Spanish now. You have a two year old. So you have also a young child that you're doing this with. Yes. Tristan, my two year old, he was actually one of the big reasons for kind of changing up my lifestyle and also moving to Spain. One, he'll get to learn some Spanish himself. Um, In addition, I always thought that when he's 22 and talking to a girl at a club, you can be like, yeah, I used to live in Spain. You know, no big deal. <laughs> that will be my gift to him. But now he's great and a handful. Yeah, I could imagine. So, OK, so let's now take it back because I want to know how you I love that you said you just took a step after another and got you to where you are now. So let's take it a little bit further back and talk about your background. So your professional background. I know, um, you know, you have an extensive one and then also your entrepreneurial background. Yeah. So. It all started when my mom met my dad in New York. No, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, when I, I started, I studied undergrad at University of Maryland College Park and I studied computer science and economics. Even for me, I just really like computers. So it kind of made sense. From there, I moved into consulting. So I actually started in the D.C. area doing government consulting, um, a lot of programming, but you know, a lot of working with clients, things like that. I always knew I wanted to go back to grad school. So I had been working on applying to get my MBA in the meantime. And then interestingly, there was a month where oddly I was tired of dating. So I decided to take a break from dating and I found myself with all this extra time. With that extra time, I actually started my first company, which was Single Black Male, which is a dating and relationship blog we founded back in 2007. So still working full time, working on this blog along the side get into business school. So I move over to Boston uh, to go. I went to MIT to get my MBA. And then I knew I wanted to go into technology afterwards. So 
It was a hard decision, but we decided to pack up and move to the West Coast. Um, I had met my girlfriend at the time. I proposed to her while we were in school together. We graduated and got married two weeks later and moved over to um, the Bay Area. And that kind of started my career in tech. I uh, started first at um, a gaming company. I interned at Zynga. If you've ever played Farmville or Cityville, that was us. Then I moved to another company, TinyCo. I did a little bit of consulting in between that, and then I moved to Facebook. And so I was at Facebook for three and a half years, and I was a product manager. And for those who don't know, a product manager doesn't really do anything, but they get to take all the credit. No, I, um, yeah, I was leading a team of engineers, designers, analytics, and yeah, there was kind of a vision. We had to pick a product, like what we were going to build, how we were going to build it, how do we measure success, things along those lines. They always call it the mini CEO role. Uh, so I did that for three and a half years. And when I found out my son was coming, so during this time too, SBM is continuing to run. We we were four people in the company itself, along with like a small army of um, writers. Uh, and the site was growing, which taught me a lot about both building and you know being able to monetize online and um, running a company and dealing with you know people and personalities and legal entities and taxes and all that. So while at Facebook, uh, really enjoyed my job. So I was working a lot, but it was uh, things that I loved. Um, the people I was working with were smart. We were working a lot of interesting and you know moving fast and breaking things, which there's a lot of interesting things going on now. Um, but Another big thing, too, was it actually uh, introduced me to like a, a lot of different aspects of wealth. Uh, the Some of the people who had worked there were making more than I could have ever dreamed. Um, and even when they talked about investing and kind of what they did, it really shaped a lot of wealth noir and kind of what I saw and what I thought about. So when I found out I was going to be a dad... I wanted to take some time off. I was like, I want to take at least a year off. Like, I really want to be there during his first year. It's going to be an important time. I'll never get it back. And this is my first child. And I was telling some coworkers about this. I was like, hey, I think I'm going to take a year off. And they're like, what do you mean take a year off? And I was like, I'm going to take a year off. How can you afford to do that? Like, you, you can't. And I was giving them the side eye because I was like, I, I know how much we make. Like, you, you can take a year off. Like, it's, it's you know, easy to afford that. What I didn't realize at the time, so I had two rental properties at this point, one that I used to live in and just kept. I purchased another one. I had been saving approximately half of my income at the time, investing it in uh, robo-advisors are really my preference. So I would just dump money there. And then when a good real estate deal would come along, I would move it by the real estate and manage that. And all my properties were in Maryland. I was living in California, so I was managing them remotely. And to me, I had... You know, I had been doing all of these things to the point where I wanted to have the flexibility to take a year off or to not work or something along those lines. Um, but I found as I was going through this process and I was thinking about making this change for my life, everyone thought this was insane. Um, and so outside of my coworkers, I started talking to friends and friends who were lawyers, doctors and things like that. And everyone thought this was insane. Like you can't not have money for a year. And I was like, it's not that insane. We're all well overpaid. And especially depending on who I talked to, for my black friends, for my other African-American friends, it was even more insane. It just seemed conceptually weird. Like there's no way you can afford that. Um, and they didn't think in terms of like financial freedom and you know, replacing your income. So that culmination of wanting to take some time off, realizing that a lot of people thought this was insane, trying to figure out why they thought it was insane, and then realizing that if you are African-American and after doing some stats about 
even if you own over $100,000, on average, we have a third less net worth, lower net worth, um, African-Americans versus the majority in the U.S., I started to see there was a, a niche and a problem. There were a lot of people who had kind of succeeded past the first hurdle, which was go to school, get a good job, but they all had desires to take a year off or, you know, I would love to work part time for a while while I have kids or something like that. Um, and they weren't doing anything to move towards it. Uh, I actually had one friend who had $80,000 in a checking account. And I was like, great that you have managed to save that amount of money. Clearly you're doing something right, but why do you think the checking account is you know, kind of the best way to keep that um, amount of cash? So that really birthed Wealth Noir, my desire to spend more time with my son, take a break, and seeing this need that I really wanted to go and solve. All right. So that was a lot of good information. I want to unpack some things that stood out for me as you were talking. First, I want you to just say like how big the site Black Single Black Male got, because it got pretty big, right? Just uh, to let people understand like how big that company was that you were running. Yeah, no, it, we did get reasonably big. So we actually did like a few speaking engagements. We had some events in both D.C. and New York. We were doing about half a million um, page views per month. Advertising, it did grow pretty big. Um, and again, similarly, even with Wealth Noir, it was kind of a niche. Uh, single Black Male really, and I'm actually currently in the process of relaunching the site, but we focused on having men speak about dating for women. So it was kind of like, this is why you think we're crazy. This is why we don't call back. This is why we bought you that drink. And here's what we actually were expecting. We found that there were a lot of people who were just shocked that we really thought that way. So yeah, single black male did. Yeah, it it did. And it still is actually a um, reasonably big site that, you know, we were able to grow for a few years. Right, right. And now you transitioned out of that. Is there a reason why you kind of moved away from that and started to focus on the other areas and businesses? Yeah. When it did come to dating, and this was one issue we all had as the writers and the kind of the owners, we kind of aged ourselves out of the content. And then it became a question of, do we change? I'm married now. I have a kid. Me being a single black male doesn't make much sense anymore. And a lot of us, too, were finding that you know our desire to talk and think about dating was a lot different. And when it came to me even spending more time on single black male versus starting a new site or running them both, my interest too had changed. Um, I do think there's still a really good place for it. And we can build a team that makes a lot of sense. But for me, it wasn't something I could say that I would work on for. My rule of thumb for working, starting a new company is, are you willing to work on it for four years without being paid? And single black male didn't alone didn't pass that test. So Wealth Noir does now, but I'm wondering you now you can do married blackmail. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm sure we need that perspective. No, so actually um I will start writing. Part of it now is the amount of time I have. You would think moving to Spain, right, and you know, just have all the time in the day, but two year olds are our full time job on their own. Oh yes. Yeah. And uh Funny that you said that, though. The last series I wrote for the site was while I was engaged, and it was called Engaged Blackmail. And I was like, I'm changing my name from Single Blackmail to just SBM because, you know, it's like a Prince move. <laughs> right. And I talked about, yeah, the experience of being engaged. But yeah, I, one thing I actually do think being married now, you know, I wasn't just a crazy guy ranting. I successfully have a wife, like I absolutely love and taking care for another person, which is, I think, validates some of the stuff I said. Right, right. Okay. And now, so then moving to Facebook now, I love that 
your experience allows you to speak to this, this portion, especially like black people who are, like you said, they've crossed that hurdle where they are now earning good income or they've gotten on, you know, for the most part on top of their finances, but they don't know how to grow their wealth. You know, they don't know how to leverage now their income to create reoccurring income and, you know, to pass things on to like future generations to help lower or, or shorten that wealth gap. And that you saw that issue and that's why you started to create Wealth Noir. And then again, even with just, and that's why I always say, yes, I know income, like I'll never downplay like the fact that having a good income, you know, is basically it's, it's such a privilege in terms of how you're able to reach your goals because so a lot of people are don't have the income to really get ahead. And so it's really about a matter of, all right, let's, let's help you earn more. But for those that are earning good money and like they don't even know that, you know, what to do next or how to leverage that. Like, I think it's so important because as you said, there's so much money um, being left on the table. Like, you know, someone having so much money in a checking account, not losing money because of inflation or, you know, not investing in their retirement accounts at the minimum because they don't understand it. So when you were thinking about now, all right, I'm, you know, I want to take this time off. Did you know that traveling would be a part of that? Or how did it then evolve to, okay, I want to take some time off to be with my son and my my wife, but now I'm thinking about actually moving somewhere else to another country. Yes. I actually had wanted to move abroad for a few years. Even while I was at Facebook, I was actually looking at our London office and I was talking about moving to that office. I actually had looked at a few other tech companies in um, Thailand, for example, in Berlin. But my wife wasn't in love with the idea. She was like, I will go, but I'm not excited about it. I subscribed to Happy Wife, Happy Happy Life. So I didn't want to drag her to a new country and her kind of not have a great experience. When our son turned six months old, she actually looked at me and she's like, I have something to tell you. I was like, what? The, the baby poop again? She's like, no, no, no. This is good news. I was like, okay, um, I'm ready to go. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Um, if we don't do it now, it's only going to become harder and we can take, you know, take some time off. And I was like, this is great. And I was like, let me go pull out the spreadsheet with the 80 different countries and like, you know, the matrix of, and she was like, no, it's either going to be Spain or Italy. Just pick one and let me know when we're moving. I was like, okay, great. Wait, can I jump in and ask, does she have her own like career or did she work outside the home at that point? Because kind of like changing both careers or walking away from that, I would think is even like a bigger decision. Right. Um, And then why did she pick those two countries? Yeah. So you are right. And actually, it's funny, I don't talk about this much, but no, she, when we made that decision, it was for both of us. So we were both moving away from lucrative careers. She got her master's the same time I got mine, hers in public policy. And she was working for a large um, education organization in the Bay Area, earning over six figures. So this was kind of a choice for both of us. Interestingly enough, while I am the bougier of the two of us. She is very much like, you know, we, we don't need a ton of money. We have real estate. Um, these things are good. And she did like the idea of, uh, she actually was really concerned. I would not see our son. She actually told me that upfront. Um, when he comes, you're not going to be flying every month for a meeting. You're not going to be going on these international trips every, like every quarter. So for her, it was a big sacrifice, but she had thought through it the same. And we, always have been talked a lot about our money. One thing I had started a few months after we got married and we continue roughly up until this day, uh, we would have weekly check-ins where we'd go over our finances and what we wanted and you know whether we should buy X, Y, and Z or whether we should save more. And so this was a continuing conversation that we've been having every single week. 
up until that point. And then when it came down to Spain and Italy, basically Zika had ruled out everything south of Austin, Texas. And we had went to Thailand and she said it was too hot. She liked the stability of um, European countries. Uh, she really liked the culture. We'd both gone to, um, we'd been traveling constantly up until this point, which I didn't mention. We took a, a, at least one international trip a year. And I actually had to get a new passport when I moved to Spain because my old one was filled with stamps. So Spain and Italy offered this comfortable, good healthcare, great place to raise kids environment. And we kind of did our research into which cities and which country would make the sense, both from a visa and a monetary standpoint. And yeah, we ended up with Valencia, Spain. We did a two-week trial period where we came. We actually got an Airbnb. We talked to a relocator. We looked into the visas. We figured everything out and decided you know, on that trip that this is a place we would want to come. We even got a daycare and had our son in daycare for a whole week just to you know, understand does daycare here suck um, compared to American daycare. What you said, it actually is not as good? Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't. It's great. Oh, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Okay. Our current daycare has a two floor ball pit in it and it costs a third of what I paid back in Oakland. Oh, my goodness. How did you prepare to make this move? And was it an intentional, like you're preparing, you started saving differently, started investing differently for, you know, up to a year before that, or all the steps that you, you did? Because it seems like you and your wife were at great starting points. You had great trajectory already. You know, you had real estate already. It seems at that time had great careers. So you already were prepared to just pull the trigger on this move when you decided to do it. How did you prepare for all this financially and then mentally? Yeah. So I always find myself leaving out small details. When we actually finished grad school, we finished grad school cum cumulatively with around, I want to say it was around $140,000 between credit card bills and student loan debt. Neither one of us had any student loans or any debt before going to grad school. We um, didn't have any, we both had scholarships in undergrad. But we're at this point now, um, so this is about six years before we moved abroad. And at that time, I said, I don't want to have debt. I've never liked debt. Um, I want to save and invest. And we worked with the CFP and we actually set up a budget um, and we you know, determined what we were going to invest in. So from that period of time, our income more than doubled over the next like four years or so. But we actually stayed on the exact same budget that we had set for when we were paying off debt. And we weren't sure what we were saving for or what we were investing for, but we knew it was important. One thing for me, which did help, I have a, I don't want to call it an obsession, but I really enjoy building my net worth. Like something about just knowing that I was amassing dollars across like my investment accounts and my properties really did it for me. So we were working, we were aggressively growing our net worth. Not sure what we wanted to do with it, but I had this feeling that I actually had predicted when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to burn out. I'm going to like go somewhere and live on a commune for a year and have an eat, pray, love moment or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. Um, but what ended up happening was we suddenly found that we had a lot more options. I just loved having options. And it's one reason why we focus so much on building wealth. So when it came to make that decision, this was something we had already been, we didn't know what we were preparing for, but we actually had found ourselves really, really prepared. We had um, solid uh, retirement accounts. We had two income generating rental properties. We had taxable um, money available. We had uh, a few hundred thousand actually um, that we could you know, draw on or use, on, use. And for the most part, I've been saving it to buy more real estate. So we just found by 
kind of having this goal of saving and investing and knowing that we wanted the option to at least quit our jobs at some point or take some time off, when it actually came time, we were ready. Right. Okay. That's so amazing. And part of it too is like, I now hear this because I, you know, I talked to a lot of people, even from my situation. And when I try to like pull out the commonalities and the things that people have in common, the ones that have made it to your level, the ones that have been able to, you know, quit jobs and travel the world or pursue their passions and live this life of financial freedom and this work optional life. It's, it's, it usually all boils down to this idea that you were working towards something. I'm um, even before you knew you were like you were working towards something, even though you didn't know what it was, but really like living below your means so that you can now live like this abundant life. And I had so a guest on the podcast, Jillian John Schrude, who said this, like so many people get the timeline mixed up of the life that they want to live. So, you know, they want to travel or they want the nice car. They want the nice home. They want to like live that life of like just lavishness or just freedom. And they sacrifice like the long-term gain of that, like the long-term stability of that for the short-term like instant gratification. So like, I'll get the nice car now because I want that car now. Versus like, you know, I'm going to live below my means, going to live and pay off this debt. I'm going to hustle, you know, three, four, whatever years is going to take you to do that so that you can have that long term. Like I can buy that car. I can travel without stressing yourself, you know, about what that really that life takes to live. And so I just I mean, I think it's amazing that you were able to set yourself up in that way. Don't get me wrong. It was hard at times. Um, I would walk into work and be like, man, how many Porsches can they fit in one parking lot? Um and, you know, but uh, I did have an Audi, I will say, but it was used and, you know, it was a couple of years older. Again, yeah, it was that motivation. I knew there was something that I was working towards. I knew it was important to me. I wasn't sure what it was, but I knew that when I had the option, when I made a decision, I would be ready for it as opposed to then having to figure out a plan to get there. Right. Now, what was your motivation? I know you said you didn't know what you were doing, but why... For so many people, you know, they wouldn't know to do that Um, for some, you know. Uh, so how did you know to be on top of your finances in this way? Did you have this instilled to you as a child growing up? Did you know, did you do the opposite of what you saw growing up? How did you know to like do all the things you did at this age? I've wondered at time what it was. The closest I've been able to come up with. So even with my parents, we did have a rental property. She's still, um, my mother still owns it. And it was kind of a rich dad, poor dad in my house where my dad would spend a ton of money, but he actually had his own business, um, but he loved to buy things and have nice things. Whereas my mom was extremely frugal. So she saved. And even as I helped her with retirement, I, my, both my parents are immigrants from the Caribbean. I was like, mom, you, you, you live the American dream. Like you can retire very comfortably. I was like, you can go buy a second house if you wanted or, or something along those lines. And it was because she was frugal and saved. So that was instilled in me. Part of it early on, though, I'll admit, was very, very shallow, and it kind of changed over time. I joke with people that I really wanted to buy a Rolex for a long time. And then when I could buy the Rolex, I decided that a rental property made more sense. I even wrote an article about this once. Um, but a lot of just rap music had influenced. I wanted nice things. So I was like, I need money to get nice things. As I started to amass the money, I found myself more interested in the amassing of the money and I then kind of changed my goal. So then I wanted to become a millionaire. And I was like, okay, what does it take to become a millionaire? And I worked backwards. I was like, well, a million is, you know, a million dollars of my assets minus my liabilities. 
I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad as a kid. Um, and I kind of always had this fascination with money and wealth. And initially it was driven just by having nice things and being able to fly around the world and do a bunch of you know really crazy things. At some point it transitioned into building a legacy and building wealth and you know becoming a millionaire. And then now it's just, I like, I, I like the option and flexibility. I kind of like the fact that I really get to design my life. I really get to choose the lifestyle I want to live and whether, you know, family or traveling, I'm not held back by the need to pay my mortgage or to pay for food on the table, things like that. Right. And like, that is my goal. Like that realization is like for everyone, especially if for like black people, because, you know, a big part of our culture is like, you know, hip hop and rap. And yeah, a lot of that is driven by like the flashiness. And so there's nothing wrong with that if you like that stuff. But like my hope is that, you know, even if that hooks you, like once you get into it, like once you really re- realize how you can apply, like, OK, how in my life, like living like it's great that, you know, all these like rap stars have all this stuff going on and they're, you know, they're flossing and all this. But when it comes out in my life now and I translate that to my life, like what can I do? And I love the fact that switching like that motivation to actually not just like looking like a millionaire but actually being a millionaire so yeah you can look like one but what does it take to be one like you know and and that's what so many people just need to like understand and so i'm hoping that this is sparking some things for people like yes you know what yeah i want to look like one but i actually want to be one first and then we can worry about looking one like one later yeah and there's even great examples too um 21 savage who a lot of people wouldn't think to be uh, say financially astute is extremely financially astute. He actually started a program recently to help with financial literacy for high school kids. He actually has promised to stop wearing chains um, because he thinks it's a bad influence. His lyrics do not convey this, but if you dig a little deeper behind the surface, and then you see Jay-Z as recently too, where for many, many years you would think he was just about nice cars, but actually he really is about building a legacy and building generational wealth and I'm glad to see two rappers even are having that same moment and then allowing other people to know that so that we, even though nice things may be the motivation, there's really something deeper behind it that we should strive for. Okay, I hope you are enjoying today's episode, but let me just take a quick, quick moment to tell you about today's sponsor, Gusto. You witnessed my journey to uplevel my life, my finances, and now you're actually watching me uplevel my business. I went from being an employee to being self-employed, and the next step is becoming an employer. Hiring people to not only help me bring my vision to life, but give them opportunities and outlets to help them support themselves, their families, and their own dreams. And so I'm always looking for tools and ways in which I can effectively run my business. So if you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear lots of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, are not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Hello. So for my journeyer business owners, now you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. Try a demo and see it for yourself at gusto.com slash journey. Once again, that's gusto.com slash journey for three months free. All right, let's get back into this episode. 
Okay, so now you guys have been in Spain for how long? Uh, about 10 months now. 10 months in Spain. And so you had an article where you, you just talk about like the benefits of um, like living like abroad and just for other people if they think they want to do it. And some of the things that you said that helped and like are the extreme benefits are things like leveraging your time to increase your investments. And then the other one I liked is that international experience makes you more marketable. Can you touch upon those points? Yeah, definitely. Even when I was considering going to the London office while I was at Facebook, one of the reasons I was thinking about it is that it is useful to have an understanding, especially most companies are have a global presence. If they're not directly very active in another market, they're considering it or they have um, maybe subsidiaries or you know they're getting some sales from um, that area. So things run very, very differently here. Um, small differences that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Uh, refrigerators are smaller in Spain. So therefore, people, everything that they sell in the supermarket is smaller sized and people go to the supermarket more often. Um, when you think about consumer behavior, that is actually an important thing. So if I were to go to apply to a consumer packaging goods company, um, they would take into account the fact that I actually have an understanding of an international market. There's a slew of jobs now that I could apply for because they would require international experience because they're, you know, it's a country manager. For example, Amazon may have, you know, have a European country manager potentially in Europe or in Seattle in the headquarters. And as the world becomes smaller, even as we see everything going on with the um, U.S. and China and the trade wars, uh, having an international perspective uh, helps a lot. And even I've been able to both expand my professional network here now. So there's a lot of companies that I've talked to, a lot of business models that I've seen um, that I never had access to or never thought about until I moved abroad. And then when it comes to time to focus on your investments. So interestingly, the first month that I moved here, I ended up buying a three unit building in Baltimore. Um, so I had been spending some time looking um, and searching. And when I had stopped working about six six or seven months prior, maybe a little under, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but that extra time had given me this time to go back into looking for real estate. And, and this time I was going more aggressive. I was looking for multi-units. I was looking for off-market deals, which take a bit more time and effort to both find and um, close on. But yeah, since moving to Spain, I've been able to um, purchase that property, working on stabilizing it now in terms of making the repairs, um, working with the current tenants, uh, and having the flexibility to of my day and of my time. The time difference in this case also helps. I hate mornings. So since I'm six hours ahead, I, I'm I'm having I actually talked with one of my my real estate attorney last night at 2 a.m. here after going to the club. <laughs> and these are things that, you know, were just so much harder. I remember buying a property from California. I was working let's say anywhere 60-ish, 50, 60 hours a week, scheduling the time to talk to the realtor or to talk to the bank and things like that were a lot more difficult. Um, I have a lot more time to even not only my existing real estate investments, but even as I think about both stocks and some investments for, for example, accredited investors, I have a lot more time to focus and do research now. Right. And I want to talk about the accredited investor um, portion. But as you were talking, I'm like, you know, I wonder, like, can you just explain like the total maybe cost of living in Spain now as a family versus like the cost when you were here in these states? Oh, yes, I can because I love it. When I was in Oakland, we had a two bedroom um, apartment and it was pretty, it was nice. It was definitely nice, spacious. And we paid $3,400 a month. 
Uh, daycare was um, $1,400 a month, and that was in-home. So if someone in their home had set up a daycare, and it was close to our house, and every other daycare had like a five-year wait, but we really loved it. Utilities, phone, good good comparison would be phone, internet, um, and cable. So we probably paid around $300 or so dollars a month. Now, moving here to Spain, I have a three-bedroom apartment now with a huge terrace. Honestly, at, at times, it's someone told me it's American and gaudy, but I really like it. Um, <laughs> and we pay $1,400 a month um, for this. Um, we, for our childcare, uh, we have, we found a nice bilingual school with a um, suite of teachers. They have a two-floor ball pit, and we pay around $550 a month. So we've, uh, we're paying about a third of what we paid in rent and a third of what we paid in childcare. Um, internet here and cell phone companies are different. You can actually go to the cell phone company and they will give you a cell phone. We have two lines, you know, internet to the house. And well, we used to have cable, but we actually just stream everything from the US because we don't speak Spanish yet. Um, but that whole package is about a hundred and I think it's $20 a month I pay. And that's like for a super high speed internet. A lot of these key expenses all dropped significantly. And yeah, the cost of living here is just significantly, um, significantly lower. Mm -hmm. So how can someone do this? So if I'm someone who's like, you know what, I want to, maybe I'm not financially prepared yet. Um, that's what I need to do, like make sure I can like take this leap and move somewhere else like Spain. But how does one, does, do, do most people that you meet that have also done what you did, are they working for themselves? Are they entrepreneurs living there and making money online? Or are they moving with companies to Spain that pay them? Like they working for a, a company in Spain or, or what? Like how does one then afford to like do this in their life? Right. So one thing too is it's not as complicated or scary as people think. We had a relocator who kind of helped us with uh, a little bit of the visa process. But, you know, typically you go to the, your consulate, you apply in terms of getting the visa. In terms of financial being prepared, I'm a huge travel hacker. So I had several hundred thousand miles actually before we moved here. And our flight, our test flight, our test time here, in addition to like a regular flight, even when we go back for Christmas, are all paid with miles, which helps keeps our costs down. Preparing how you want to make money is a very personal thing. And I actually have seen people do all three of those models. Um, there's a lot of benefits. The easiest transition, although it may be hard to find the job, is to find a job for an international company. There's many companies here in Spain. I found actually that my talents tend to be like, oh my God, you worked in Silicon Valley. I'm like, it's, you know, whatever, it's just California. Um, because their tech scene is just kind of different, the size of companies, the way venture capital works here, things like that. And there are several international companies that will hire either Americans, there's actually an accelerated visa here in Spain particularly, but several other countries. Berlin has a great market for tech. Um, London, London's uh, very expensive, but very uh, relatively easy to move and find international companies. Australia, Visas are a little bit harder, but part of it is kind of determining the type of life you want to live and where you want to live. Uh, I've met a lot of people who are, there's actually a, um, several groups here focused on freelancers. There's a lot of digital nomads that come to Spain. Valencia has become really, really popular uh, for digital nomads because of the cost of living and it's in Europe. So several, I met one person that works on the e-commerce site. Someone else is a content marketer. Another couple, they moved from Ecuador, actually, I believe. It was Ecuador, Argentina. She works in um, British journalism. He works in marketing for Latin American companies. 
And then there are others here. I have one friend there. He took a sabbatical. So he actually came from the Bay Area also. And they just decided to take a year off. They worked out the budgeting beforehand. They said, this is how much rent's going to, we're going to, we have for rent. This is how much we're going to spend on travel. And because the cost of living is so much lower, they actually rented out their house and were able to come. The book, The 4-Hour Workweek, that actually was one of the really big motivators in helping me to move because Tim Ferriss is kind of, just do it. There's a lot of, when you think through it, you'll scare yourself. But when you actually do it, it's nowhere near as bad as you think it is. Right. There's many ways to do it. Right. And that's life. Like, right. Like when you think about sometimes some of the people, when I hear um, how I built this or like that podcast or just anybody who's done anything like major, it's just like they always say, if I knew like part of that wasn't the naivety of like what I was doing because I didn't know. Like, and if I knew all the things and the steps, I probably would have tried it. And so many of us, like we stop ourselves before we even start because like we're thinking 10 steps ahead. And then, yes, it's good to be strategic and to plan everything out. But sometimes you just like have to do it and figure it out. So now you're in Spain and, you know, to make this, to make this leap. And so for you to like walk away, for your wife to walk away from your jobs, you had to then choose, okay, I'm going to give up this safe earning potential, like, you know, these six figure jobs. And then now I'm going to take time off. I'm going to, you know, live life the way it's meant to be lived. Right. How did you come become comfortable with like giving up that income potential to do what you're doing now? Is it that your portfolio was just were you at the point where, you know what, you were okay anyway, or it was like, you know what, it's not worth the money. I want my freedom today. I'll admit the big thing was, you know, people always say this, and it's a very cliche line, but you know, I looked into the eyes of my son as he came out of um, my wife and I was really committed to spending more time with him. Um, my father mentioned before is entrepreneur. He worked a lot. I actually say that I'm a night owl because he used to come home oftentimes at 10 PM at night. And I knew how much I was spending at my job and working. And similarly, so with my wife, that was definitely the final push over the edge for us. I had also been interested in starting my own company for a very long period of time. After starting Single Black Male and working on that, I kept thinking about what would be next. And during the several years after grad school, I actually tried a few different ideas. I set up a little landing page. I would buy some ads. I would see if there was interest. And then I would look into building the company and kind of decide whether this was something I really wanted to do or not. But when the sun kind of came along, all of the like, should we get jobs abroad or should we like take some time off or things along those lines? When we made the decision that we're going to move, it kind of really propelled to move very, very quickly. It was like, all right. We can go to this country and we can afford to do absolutely nothing, or we can work remotely. We can do either one. When it came to actually getting ready to make the change, uh, we talked about what work would look like, what things would look like. Since I was starting Wealth Noir, I wanted the company to be remote. I knew I ha- could get some consulting remote. And then talking with my wife, what we talked about was you know, what kind of job, what career options she wanted to do, what would she feel ha- be happy about wouldn't harm her career for the long term and would allow us to have the flexibility to travel. Uh, So we actually worked on having her become a remote consultant also and started working with uh, U.S. companies while here in Spain Um, before. Well, actually, we didn't even we moved a bit on faith. We knew that we had enough runway that we could come here if we hated it and we couldn't find work in six months. We could move back and everything would be fine. One big important thing is people don't realize that it's not hard to go back and just say it didn't work out. I'm going to go back to my regular job. All right, Damien, I did want to ask about just how you also dealt 
with family wise you moving and just the social aspect of it. It sounds like you guys have created a circle for yourselves there. But how did you get comfortable with like leaving with a new baby and leaving family behind to do what you did? Yeah, I prepared for it a lot like the way I prepared to be a dad. I accepted that it was going to be tough and I would figure it out. I use a dad example because a lot of times when I, I remember when I was getting ready or people always ask the question, when should I have kids? And a lot of times it's you'll never know. You just have to do it and you will figure it out. Um, a lot of it was kind of definitely taking a leap of faith and, and making sure that it would work. Some of the tactical things we did in this leap of faith, though, uh, we did work with a relocation company. So there were several companies that specifically helped expats come come to Valencia and find um, apartments, deal with some of the visa process. Since we didn't speak Spanish, we looked a lot on YouTube was actually a really, really great resource. If you're considering living anywhere in the world, YouTube is a great place to understand the culture, the people, things along those lines. There were several Facebook groups we had joined before moving. So we started talking to expats here before we actually started moving. Um, Nomad List is another site. Uh, Really great when you're trying to figure out where to move, um, but useful information about how much internet was going to cost, how much our rent was going to cost, things like that. Uh, you know, I'd found out the equivalent of Realtor.com for Spain, and we started looking at apartments. We started, you know, figuring out things. So a lot of it was trying to imagine and really think about what our life would be like moving to Spain. And as we kept doing more research, you know, we just continued to feel more comfortable. We heard stories of people who had moved from the U.S., who did speak Spanish, who didn't speak Spanish, who had kids or had dogs. We also moved with our dog. Um, and that really helped give us the confidence. It's um, a lot of the same strategies I actually use when it comes to investing and in learning about an area. The more I, you know, taking baby steps, going in there, hearing other people's experiences really helped us prepare and since we've landed, we started taking Spanish classes after a couple of months. We've gone to a few of the different events thrown by the expats, um, things like that. And sometimes, you know, it's the same way that you make friends anytime you move to a new city. At this point, it doesn't really feel that we've, we're living in Spain. It's just the new city we moved to. It almost feels as when we move from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, Spain is just our new West Coast. Right, right. Okay. And then... I know that you are still building wealth. Um, and one of the things you talked about in the blog or on Wealth Noir was the fact that you found out about this thing called accredited investor. So becoming an accredited investor. And can you tell a little bit about that story where you, you know, you want to invest in something, but you found out that you were not qualified per se to do it. And then you opened up a whole new world for you. Yeah. So a few months into my role at Facebook, now I'm like on top of the world, right? I'm like, quite good job. I actually really wanted to work for the company years before. And, you know, I was excited to um, to start investing more because I, I knew I would have more income coming in. There was a private equity firm that came and they were having a little meeting and they were, you know, pitching to the employees about their firm, their offering and kind of what they invested. And I went to the meeting. I thought it would be a great opportunity. So I called them up and like, I think at this time I had maybe 10 or 15 or 25 thousand to that I was comfortable investing. Um, and, you know, I, I was to me, I was like, this is a lot of money. I'm going to call and like, finally, I've made it because uh, let me call and invest in this private equity fund. And over the course of the phone call, it mentioned that their minimum was 250,000 to invest and that you need to be an accredited investor. And I was like, sure, you know, I, I'm accredited or you know, I, I went to school and I have money. 
They're like, no, what accredited investor is. And it's a guideline set by the U.S. government. And it's for investing in what's called unregulated securities. So they're typically higher risk, um, potentially higher reward investments. And what they're trying to do is ensure that you have capital and you have some knowledge to know what you're getting into, as opposed to having these companies take advantage of um, those without a lot of access to capital. So if you earn $200,000 as an individual or $300,000 as a couple, or if you have $1 million um, in terms of total net worth, not including your personal home, and there's a few other ways to qualify, including getting certain certifications uh, recognized by FINRA, financial um, board in the U.S., you're allowed to participate in um, these unregulated uh, securities. And what unregulated means is any public company, there's a small army of lawyers and compliance people that they have. The unregulated market has less restrictions for what you need to do to file with the um, Securities and Exchange Commissions or your state. These include things like uh, real estate deals. So someone's putting together a 10 million uh, real estate investment. They need to raise you know, 3 million of that from wealthy individuals. They can only raise that money from accredited investors because accredited investors, according to the U.S. government, understand the risk with investing in a $10 million property. A lot of this was relaxed a few years ago with the Jobs Act. So the Jobs Act changed the requirements and it opened up a smaller investments that can be open to non-accredited investors. In addition, many of the investments for accredited investors before the Jobs Act, it was an old boys network. Like you knew a guy, I actually invested in a, I did invest in one of my friend's heads fund, for example, and we went to school together. He was starting the fund. He was like, yeah, I'm opening this up to all my friends. And I was like, take some money. I have a couple thousand. Um, And working with him, he ended up returning me, I think, 60% over the course of like one or two years. It, was, it ended up being a very good investment. And it was because when I was accredited, um, and in this case, it was Old Boys Network. I We went to school together. I knew him. Now, because of the Jobs Act, there are several sites, both for startups, um, if you're doing real estate deals and other types of investments for accredited investors. So if you do meet those requirements, you're, you have this whole new market of financial instruments that are open to you. So the call with that hedge fund at the time ended with, um, sure, I'm accredited. And he was like, you, do you have, you, you have a million dollars, right? And, um, 250,000 to invest. And I basically said, let me get back to you on that one. (laughs) And, you know, several years later, it it then became one of the new, as I mentioned, it's always step by step. So when I found out about this and I looked into it and I was like, oh, my God, there's a whole separate financial market that I, having gone to business school, having studied economics, had never heard of. And I was in my 30s at this point. and I found, uh, again, even at work, um, there are, I've had many friends and clients and other people not know that they were accredited investors. But when they mentioned that, they're like, oh, I, I didn't know that. And I have $80,000 lying in a checking account somewhere. But when it does come to understanding where to put your money in your portfolio and how you think about um, balancing risk and your reward, understanding the accredited investor label and what it opens up to me, is really, really important as you think holistically about your money and building wealth. Right. And here's the thing. It's like you don't know what you don't know. So just even just knowing this term and someone now being able to say, you know what, let me just research what this means. Let me do my own research. Let me kind of 
go in the rabbit hole, dive deeper into this. And maybe right not now you cannot be an accredited investor. Maybe there are some steps you need to do first. You got some debt to pay off. You need to start maxing out all your, your tax advantage retirement accounts. You have some steps before maybe you take that step. But now that you know that that's a possibility and that's an option, you can work towards that option. Um, and so I, I'm thankful that you were able to share more of that. And I hope that some people will actually now just start some research on what that means and how they can start using it as a wealth strategy for themselves. Okay, so it seems to me that you are well on your way to uh, becoming financially independent if you aren't already. Um, and you with this whole this whole fire movement. Um, so this pathway that a lot of people want to get on, they want to be work flexible at the minimum. So work flexible, meaning even if they don't have all the assets accumulated yet, they can choose where they work. They can they can work to do things they want without worrying about the money. They can take time off. So that's that like work flexibility stage. Seems like you're there already. Um, what are your thoughts on like the FIRE movement? Are you, do you consider yourself on the journey? Have you reached your financial independence goal? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no, um, I actually wrote about this uh few months ago. Um, and when I was moving, I, so I am a very big pro fire proponent and I'm currently working towards, um, what I like to call fat fire or what many people call fat fire. So fat fire means you're not frugal. You're not, you're going to be saving up enough to live a lifestyle that supports what you really like. Right. So explain that a little bit. Yeah. I'd say the biggest definition between fat and lean fire. So within the fire community, financial independence, retire early, you have lean fire, which focuses more on frugalism. So really reducing your expenses, saving as much as possible, but being able to live on, um, you know, for example, there are people who have full families of four that live on $30,000, $20,000 a year, very, very tight budgets. The fat fire side is a bit more of like, well, I'm actually going to amass, my freedom number is five, six, two million dollars. That is actually the amount. And I'm going to focus more on the aggressive accumulation of wealth. So in addition, you know, cutting expenses is an important part, like keeping it in check. But my budget was a fat fire budget as we were moving towards um, financial independence. And to the question of whether we've reached fire right now, it depends on how you define it. Um, I was having a, a conversation before I left where someone said, are you, are you independent? Do you have to never have to work again? And I did some math in my head and I said, if we spent, I think it was like $32,000 a month, uh, sorry, $32,000 a year and never spent any dollar above, I do think we could get away with not working to um, forever. And so he was like, all right, great. So you're financially independent. I was like, no, I'm too bougie for that. I I, I like my cars too much. Um, so I balance, you know, the, I set a budget for me that works for my lifestyle. It is lower than I'd say many of my coworkers or other people I knew have, but my goal is focused on really building the wealth. So I, focus, I, I could just drink sangria all day, but I'm on the phone with my real estate attorney and my realtor and my property manager. I'm still looking for deals, um, considering actually investing here in Europe and Spain. And that's because my freedom number is probably several times higher than I'd say someone who was pursuing lean fire. If I was going for lean fire, we could just sit and soak in the sun all day. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, so, Damien, thank you so much for sharing so much more of your story. I hope this serves as an inspiration for what's possible for a lot of people and for people who are ready to take the next step for some of the things you do, you're doing, like, you know, moving abroad or becoming an accredited investor like this. It's just, this opens up a new realm for them. So I want to thank you for sharing all this information with us. No, I appreciate it. And 
thank you for having me. Like it's something I think is important and especially, and I will say, especially for um, African-Americans, for black people, we don't think um, big enough sometimes. Uh, one person mentioned to me that they thought living abroad was only for people with trust funds. And I was like, I'm, I have no trust fund. Like my parents give me not, you know, my good looks <laughs> and support, but it's a very achievable lifestyle and nothing that I do to me feels that amazing. It's just the life I wanted to live and the choices that, you know, I decided to make. Um, they're open to everybody and there's, it's more accessible now to build wealth than it has ever been in the past because of both technology and just even the regulation changes in the U.S. Right, right. Okay, so let everyone know where they can find more about you, follow your journey, more about Wealth Noir, all the things. Yes. So wealthnoir.com is our website. We're on every social media platform. So Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter at Wealth Noir. We have a community. So at wealthnoir.com, join is what, how you would join the Wealth Noir community where you'll be able to interact with us. And we're actually launching um, some new products. Uh, the goal is to expand well beyond just um, written content. And personally, if you want to actually follow me in the world or you're interested in what I'm up to, uh, my personal website is DamianPeters.com and The Real Mr. Peters on Instagram. Uh, I do a ton of stories um, in particular. And also I bought a new camera. So I try and share on my personal account is where I talk a lot more about where I'm traveling and where I'm in the world and the three countries or three cities I'm planning to visit in the next two weeks. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Damian. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. I really, really hope you got a lot of takeaways from this conversation with Damien. And, you know, I always tell you, you know, it's great to be inspired. I love like take this energy that you're feeling right now and and build on it and use it to give you the next steps you need to take. So basically propel yourself into action. And one of the ways that I love also like helping people do that is by directing them to the launch club. So the launch club is my membership community, which allows you to really take the concepts of the things that we're doing here on the show, but to another level, because you are around other journeyers who have raised their hand and say that they want more, they want to learn more, and they want to take those action steps, but then you get the tools and resources. So doors to the membership of the launch club are currently closed, but they will be reopening soon. And I don't want you to miss it if you're really interested in joining. So get on the wait list. If you're not already, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash launch club. Once again, I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Damien at me at journey to launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Tell me your favorite takeaways. share with your family and friends. Listen, you know, I don't care wherever you listen to this podcast, just as long as you're listening and bringing someone else along with you on this journey. All right. So until next week, keep on journeying journeyers. <laughs> <laughs>